0: Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today, way to go. You made it to church. I know it takes an effort sometimes to get to church, so those of you here in Minnesota, way to go. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online today, and it's always uh, great to be able to have you join us as well as a part of our congregation and church. And for the first time ever, we want to give a warm welcome to all of you at our Wayzata campus, meeting at the Wayzata High School today. Warm welcome to all of you. We got a couple of pictures, we got a couple of photographs, so the rest of our congregations can see what's going on there for the first time ever, a church meeting there uh, in a High School. So we're very excited about that. A little over a year ago, we were targeting the South Metro, and if you're in the South Metro, we're still doing that, so be patient with us. Uh, But one day, Jason Strand, our teaching pastor, knocked on my office door, and he had had been spending some time in prayer and reflection, in fact, a whole day and a half just praying and asking God what he wanted to say to Jason, and he got this inner prompting that God would not, uh, that, that wouldn't go away to someday put an Eagle Brook campus on the west side of the Twin Cities, and he wondered, he asked me if he could start making some contacts, I said, Jason, absolutely, that's how God works. He'll give someone like you a prompting or a passion that's undeniable. And you should absolutely start making those contacts. Well, 15 months later, you know, here we are. And if you're new to Eagle Brook, you are sitting next to some of the most generous people on the planet. To launch a new campus like this takes a lot of resources to hire staff, rent the school, uh, upgrade the auditorium with sound and lighting. We had to buy two Sizeable sizable trucks to haul all of our equipment every week back and forth to the high school. It's about a $2 million upfront cost, but we did it because we're passionate about reaching people all over the Twin Cities and beyond. And we hope at all campuses that you and your family will experience the love that God has for each and every one of you. So just welcome everybody. And then last week Jason gave a fantastic message. If you missed it, you got to get online and watch it. We had a snowstorm last week. I remember here in Minnesota, and you know half of you weren't here in church. I mean, you'll go to a hockey game, but uh, you know little little snowstorm keeps people away from church. So anyway, we were down in attendance, but but he gave this amazing challenge. You know, let's raise a million dollars as a church in just a couple of weekends to give away to people who are less fortunate to us, to organizations that we partner with around the country and locally here in the Twin Cities. And I'll tell you what, even with our low attendance last weekend, this is the number where we're at right now here today. $707,000 has been raised already, and I'm telling you, that's amazing. And my wife and I gave our gift last night. I know a lot of you are are still kind of praying about what you ought to do with this. I think we'll exceed a million dollars. I just am so proud of the generosity that this church uh, demonstrates all all the time. But again, I'm really excited today for our new series called Start Here. Because no matter if you've been coming to church for 30 years or more, or this is your first day ever, doesn't matter if you're a believer in Christ, or not a believer in anything at this point, you know, start here. This series is for you because it's for everybody because when it comes to matters of faith and God and church, where do you start? What does it all mean? And what difference does it make in my life? Today's topic might seem to be a little bit odd. You're not gonna see this or hear about this on the nightly news. Authors never write about this. Politicians never won't acknowledge it. Teachers are forbidden to mention it. The only ones really who seem to have a handle on it are people like Garth Brooks and Eric Church who sing about this topic quite frequently and gotta love their music, at least I do. Today's topic is sin, which might seem to be a bit of a downer, but here's what I know about sin. We all have it and we all get hurt by it and it'll absolutely determine how good or how bad our lives will go. Sin is the cause of every lie. Sin is the cause of every betrayal, of every abuse, affair, injustice, and hatred there is on the planet. Gang, it's inside of you, and I know some of you. It's inside of you, and it's inside of me for sure, and my wife really for sure. And if anybody doubts... If anybody doubts this, wait until someone cuts you off in the church parking lot today. You'll see sin come alive. No kidding. But it's in me. A few summers ago, and I've mentioned this before, my, my wife, Laurie, and I put a new deck on her house, and so she wanted to get deck furniture, which is always a problem when it comes to this, because when it comes to furniture and furnishings, my wife is, is favoring form over function, but to me, function is far more important than what it looks like, right? I, of course, had no interest in shopping for deck chairs. The only thing I requested is that they be functional, something that leans back and rocks. I suggested she look at Menards or Fleet Farm where all fine furniture is sold, but she went to some fancy schmancy place and found a, sale, a set on sale, and I said, I said, but Laura, are they comfortable? She said, I think they are. I said, do they lean back and rock? She said, two of them do. Well, the day they were delivered, I was working. And so when I got home, they were all set up. And she was all excited to to show me. And they looked good. They had good form, but not something I would have chosen. And I knew that this was one of those moments where I could either build our relationship up a little or let sin harm our relationship. I knew it. I was aware of it, I tried to control it, but I could not do it, okay? The chairs and tables were all set up, and my wife said, Bob, what do you think? Now, guys, when a woman asks you, what do you think? That's a very dangerous question, and she's really not interested in the full truth necessarily. All she wants is your approval, and if you tell her what you think, that can be trouble. She said, what do you think? Now, I could have said, I think they're great. They look sturdy, like the colors, nice job. That would have led to hugs and kisses. But what I said was, well, they look good. But where's the chairs that lean back and rock? And with that one sentence, what I really was saying was bad choice, don't like them. Can't even put, you know, pick good chairs. Trying to salvage the moment, she said, here's the ones that lean back and rock. I sat down. And I said, no, these do not lean back and rock, not even close. And to put the nail in my coffin, I then said, they are virtually unusable. (laughs) And as these words were leaving my mouth, I was like, come back. Shouldn't have said that. I'm going to pay for that. And with that, she got up went inside, and there were no hugs and kisses for quite some time. Now, I wish I could tell you that I learned my lesson, but this happened two more times, where she came out to sit with me, I complained about the chair, she got up and left. Now finally, the fourth time, finally, we went outside to sit together, and before we went out, I actually told myself, and sometimes I have to tell myself. Now Bob, everyone knows you don't like the chair, shut up already, you've made your point. So I sat down, I smiled. I remarked about how pleasant the evening was. We chatted about our day, and then a miracle happened. Laurie pulled a pillow out from behind her back and said, this pillow doesn't work for me with this chair. I thought she finally agrees with me. So I said, exactly, it's like sitting in school, it's brutal. (laughs) You know what she did? She got up and left again, I said, what? She said, there you go again about the chairs. I said, but you brought it up. She said, no, I didn't. I said, yes, you did. She said, no, I didn't. All I said was, this pillow doesn't work for me. Now, two weeks before that experience in church, I was talking about you know, the return of Christ, and I made this statement. I said, "You know, Jesus could return to earth anytime. And then I said, if, if I knew that was the case, that Jesus would come back to earth next week, I would be more tender toward my wife. Well, before she left the deck the fourth time, she turned and said, clearly, Jesus is not coming back this week. (laughs) Because you'd be more tender toward your wife. (laughs) All because of deck chairs. King, what's wrong with me? Sin is what's wrong with me. It's in me, and it spills out of me, and whenever it does, it hurts my family, my friends, and my relationship with God. I was reading the Psalms the other day. The Psalms written by David, and many of you know the Psalms. Psalm 23 is the most quoted psalm ever. David's reflecting on his life. He says, I will keep my tongue from sin and put a muzzle on my mouth. I looked up from my Bible, and I thought, that's exactly what I need. I need a muzzle for my mouth. And then, of course, Paul, one of the biblical writers, just a hero of the faith. I love his words here because I, I can resonate. I think, oh, there's hope for me. He says, I don't understand sometimes what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do that. What I hate That's what I end up doing. He's saying there's something in his life that he can't control. There's something inside him, he keeps repeating it, and I think I would call it his signature sin. He doesn't tell us what it is, but I think all of us have one. A weakness in our life that's vulnerable to sin. For me, it's verbal misconduct that I am committed to overcoming because it causes more damage in my relationships than anything else. It's my signature sin. I just want to ask today at all campuses, what might it be for you? What might it be that no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to stop? Maybe it's little lies and you think, no big deal. It is a big deal. You know, Maybe it's uh, taking things that aren't yours or maybe it's outbursts of anger that you can't seem to control comes out of nowhere and you think, there I go again. Maybe it's sarcasm, everything's a joke. Maybe it's belittling people who aren't as smart or as wonderful as you are. And you know, the weird thing about sin is we're very aware, aren't we, of other people's sin, (laughs) but not very aware of our own. Several years ago, I was cornered by a gal uh, at a restaurant, twice divorced. Her third marriage wasn't going well. I knew knew her well, knew her family. But she named person after person after person, including her parents and her coworkers, who she said were the cause of all my problems, her problems. And I can tell you she had no awareness that the main cause of all her problems was herself. And until she was honest about that, she would continue to fail in life. David wrote this. He said, who can discern? Who can discern their own sins? He's admitting that he's not even aware of the sins that sometimes he has in his life. But here, here's my heart on this, gang. I, I love you people. I don't know most of you, but I love, I love that you're all here. And my, my hope is that God will bless you and heal you and take whatever is wrong in your life and family and make it right. But that means that we have to deal with our sin because sin is what hurts us marriages. It divides families. It ends careers. Sin is what causes fights and abuse and wounds that run so deep inside some people that it leads to despair and hopelessness. The Bible says it this way, that sin actually leads to a sort of death, not just physical death. We all have a date with physical death. But but spiritual and relational death. And I just want to raise a question. Is there anything dying in your life? Could it be there's a sin? And by the way, things don't usually die suddenly from one big sin, but by a thousand little sins that add up. A thousand little put-downs, a thousand little digs, a thousand little lies or views on pornographic websites, just a thousand little sins until one day the shoe drops and something dies for good. You know, it all began with the first man and woman to walk the planet, Adam and Eve. The day they chose to disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit was the day that sin entered this world, and all of us are stained by sin. All of us have it. That was the day innocence died. In fact, relational conflict and sin entered between Adam and Eve. We're going to see that in just a second, but one of their own sons killed his brother. Sin created this conflict with people. Sin always leads to some kind of death. And the moment Adam and Eve sinned against God, there were four deadly outcomes. First, they realized that they were naked. The Bible says they discovered, they realized that they were exposed. It means they felt ashamed, and they wanted to cover up. Until that point, they felt no shame about their nakedness, but when sin entered their life, they felt ashamed. It was the first time they felt that. They'd always felt safe and secure in this relationship that God had given them, and now they wanted to cover up because they were ashamed. The second deadly outcome is they wanted to hide from God, and, and sin always does this to us. It makes us want to hide. And again, I want to ask anybody trying to hide something? Anyone trying to hide a sin or a habit or indiscretion that you would be ashamed of if somebody else found out about it? What if you knew that you could be free of that today? Free of the fear of being found out? Gang, when you're hiding something, you're not free. The amount of energy and worry that that takes you to to conceal that issue, it steals your joy. And what if you came clean before God and and began living in such a way that you had nothing to hide whatsoever? You could hit the pillow at night and just, I'm clean. Hiding is a sure sign of sin. The next deadly outcome is fear. In fact, when God came looking for Adam and Eve, Adam said, God, I I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. It's the first time this word appears in the Bible. I was afraid and so I hid. And and I got to tell you, sin always produces fear. You know, you lie about something and now you're afraid of being found out. You overspend and now you're afraid you can't pay your bills. You lose your temper with a colleague. Now you're afraid to go to work. You cross a line with somebody who's not your spouse, and now you're afraid your marriage is in trouble. Sin always produces, always produces fear. And the final deadly outcome with Adam and Eve was blaming. You know, after they stole the fruit from the tree, God went looking for Adam, and he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, look, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid, so I hid. And God said, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. And Adam responded and said, yes, and I take full responsibility for my actions. Deal with me as you will, but leave Eve out of it. That's not what he said, right? (laughs) Verse 12, this is what he said. The woman, God, who you, by the way, God, put here with me, not my fault. She, you know, he's just, man up. She gave it to me. I didn't ask for a woman. I didn't even know what a woman was. I was doing just fine before she came along, but you, God, put her here. You made her from one of my ribs, and she's been a pain in my side ever since, God. There's one guy who's clapping over here. It's just like, no, you better not do that. But isn't it amazing how that kind of explains how all the conflicts we have in life and it's right here in the Bible. The Bible is so good. Gang, you wonder where sin come, came from? It all began right here at the first man, first woman who said it's not my fault, God. <laughs> Don't blame me. It's that woman. It's that man. It's that idiot person you put into my life and we've been gang we've been blaming each other. And making excuses for sin, our sin, ever since. But I gotta tell you, blaming will never solve our problems. As long as I keep blaming other people for my problems, I will stay stuck in my failures and sin. I absolutely loved my dad, taught me how to hunt and fish. He was a great pastor and leader, a hero to me in so many areas, except golf. I could never beat my dad in golf, and it's because he cheated. He just did. And here's this godly man full of integrity in every other way, pastor of a large church who cheated at golf. He'd get a seven and say, give me a five. Like, you know, he'd miss a five foot putt and call it a gimme. I'd have made it anyway, I'm just kind of fooling around. And then at the end of almost every round, he would say, well, if I hadn't hit it into the water on number seven, and if I hadn't sliced it into the woods on number 12, and if I didn't four putt number 17, i have an 81, so give me that. And I'm like, but dad, you did hit it into the water, and you did slice it into the woods, but he'd make an excuse and blame everything else for his golfing sins. So I could never beat him. But here's the thing his excuses made him a bad golfer. And when it came to matches that really mattered and counted, he could never win because the only way to win is to stop blaming and work on your game. The only way to win is to stop blaming and work on your marriage. The only way to win is to stop blaming and work on your studies if you're a student. You gotta stop projecting blame on other people for the problems you're experiencing. But if these four things are showing up in your life where you feel exposed to shame, you're trying to hide something, you're afraid, and you're constantly projecting blame, chances are there's a sin problem that's getting in the way of your life. All of us have it. All of us are hurt by it. So what do we do about it? Two thoughts, two thoughts today. Work on your part of the pie. Let me explain this a minute. If I'm honest with you, I am the cause of most of my problems. I am the cause of most of the conflict around me. I am the one who says stupid stuff and gets selfish and petty. Gang, I have enough sin of my own to ever worry about somebody else. By the way, I attempted to draw a pie on the flip chart last night, and I just want to show you how that went from last night. Watch this. I want to show you a little visual that maybe will help us out. You know, own your part of the pie, and so I'm going to draw a pie here for you. And my artistic abilities are like (coughs) amazing, (laughs) but you know, here's a pie, or or, you know, whatever. That that wasn't very good. They go like that, right? Okay. So we have this pie. (laughs) What's the matter? Was I blocking the view, Is that, was that the problem? All right, so we have this So, okay, you can cut that now, thank you. So last night I got home and my wife said, Bob, let me show you how, how most people draw a pie. So she drew a circle and then she stopped and looked at me and then she said, draw a line like that and then draw a line like that and then draw a line like that. There's your pie. So, all right, that was last night. So this is today. So just, just, just think with me. Let's say that this pie, let's say this is your workplace. And this pie represents 100% of all the problems, junk, and sin at your workplace. Could be your marriage, could be your school setting, could, could be any any situation, but this pie represents 100% of the problems that you and whoever else is in this pie are having. Now, let's say that this right here is your part of the pie of the sin. Okay. Or let's say you're just, I mean, you're amazing. So maybe it's even smaller than that. I mean, everybody else in your world are borderline wacko, but you're, you know, I mean, you're just unbelievable. So let's just say this is your part of Pie right here. Okay? Uh, The secret to solving virtually every problem you have is when you take ownership for your part of the pie. Some of you are saying, yeah, but Bob, you have no idea. This person my boss, this colleague, my spouse, my son, my dad. Bob, you have no clue. And I don't. And I know. And gang, that needs to be dealt with. I don't minimize that one bit. But right now, for this one minute, let's not talk about that person. Let's talk about what's in here, because I'm telling you, taking ownership for your part of the pie is the key to solving most of your problems. Because the truth is, you cannot, I cannot change another person. All the blaming in the world is not going to change the other person. I can only change myself. I can only work on myself. When I do that, suddenly the blaming starts to go away. The arguing starts to go away. The sinning against each other starts to go away. Because now I am working on me and I'm not working on you. And some of you again are saying, but Bob, I'm not going to deal with my part until they deal with theirs. Well, then you're going to be stuck. Because the first step to overcoming sin is focusing on you, not the other person. So here's the question I want to ask all of you. What part of the pie is yours? And will you be courageous and honest enough to own your part? It doesn't mean that you never confront somebody else's sin. It doesn't mean you roll over and become somebody's doormat. It doesn't mean you even continue in the relationship. Sometimes you have to put a strong border and boundaries around that relationship. All I'm saying is that the first step to overcoming sin is right here. It's right here. Some of you might say, well, how do I begin doing that? You know, you got to read. Read. So I'm reading, I read about 25 books a year right now. I'm, I'm making my way through Grace is Greater by, by Kyle Eidelman. Just a fantastic book. I think we have it in our bookstores. If we, don't, we We will shortly. You ought to read Nine Things You Simply Must Do by Henry Cloud. Every person on the planet ought to read that book. I wrote a book a, book a few years ago called Seven Simple Choices to a Better Life, and it's, it's, it'll help you. I can't say a whole lot about it, but it'll help you. And by the way, I read other stuff. You know, I've, I've got my two favorite ma- magazines here, Outdoor Life, uh, How to Make a Hunter and, and Hunting Dog. They're just both fantastic. So I'm not, you know, I'm not just always religious. I'm, I'm balanced, I think. You don't have to be a religious fanatic. But maybe it's time to get a counselor. Maybe it's time to seek out a mentor who can help you discover some of the things about your life. So own your part of the pie. Second thought is this, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. The Bible says Adam and Eve were afraid, so they hid from God. But verse nine, we find these amazing words. But God called to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Now, why does God ask this? Does God really not know where they are? Of course God knew where they were. The question, where are you, was God's invitation For them to come out of hiding, it was his way of saying, guys, I know you sinned. I know you're ashamed and afraid, but I've come for you. I love you. I haven't abandoned you. Adam, where are you? Don't pull away. It's God's invitation to receive forgiveness and restore their relationship. And this is such a critical moment for them. The choice that they make right here will affect the rest of their life. You know, will they come out of hiding and move in the direction of restoration, or will they continue to hide and blame and feel trapped? A few weeks ago, uh, my wife, Lori, and I were lucky enough to get away to a warm place for a few days, and one afternoon, we were sitting on the patio, and we left the patio door open to the house when suddenly a hummingbird flew right into the house, instant panic. Uh, because he was immediately trapped behind a large window and these large wooden shutters. So I said, let's, let's not go in right away and scare him. Maybe he'll find his way out of the house. And so he watched him for 30 seconds just beat himself against the window. And 60 seconds, his wings just beating, his body banging against the window, trying to get out. He just felt, he felt helpless. He could see where he wanted to go, but he couldn't get there. He could see out the window, and so he banged against the window, and he felt totally helpless, and so did we. I want to pause and ask, do you ever feel that way? You can see the life you want, but you, you, you can't seem to get there. Maybe it's a life free of anger, but you you just can't seem to get it. Or a life free of addiction, but you bang against the window, or free of anxiety, but no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to get there, and you feel trapped. What if if you knew that there is a God who loves you? He knows all about what's going on in your life, and he wants to release you. That's how I felt with this little bird. I wanted so badly to release him. And I thought, you know, if I feel this way toward a tiny little bird, how much more intensely does God feel that way toward us? Finally, after several minutes of just watching this tiny creature beat himself again, I knew I had to try to save him or he was going to die. And I must have seemed like this God-sized monster to him, just ugly beast. But I went in, and I opened the shutters, and he'd never been touched by a human, for sure. He didn't know if I'd crush him or free him, but he was so exhausted that when I gently cut my huge hands around his tiny bodies, he just stopped struggling. He chose to trust, and he let me hold him so I could then release him. To freedom. And as we close our time together today, I just wonder if some of you might feel like this, this little bird. You feel trapped by something, maybe. Some of you feel exhausted from the struggle, from the fight. You feel hopeless, some of you. And it seems no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to get where you want to go. I want to ask a very important question Will you, will you trust God today? I mean, really trust Him with your life, with your relationships with your studies, with your work, will you every single day put your trust in the God who knows you, the God who sees you struggling? Will you trust him? Will you let God take you in his almighty hands and trust him to free you? Maybe for some of you, it's the first time you'll ever do that today. For others of you, maybe it'll be the thousandth time. See, I need to walk in faith and trust every single day. I love these final prayer that David prayer, prayed in his own life. He was in a struggle. And he said, Lord, set my soul free. Save me because of your loving kindness. Anybody need to pray that prayer today? Lord, set my soul free. Save me. Free me. So at all campuses, I just want to close us in prayer and just stay seated. I'm just going to pray us out, and I'm going to pray for miracles to happen today in your life and in mine. Some of us are feeling ashamed. Some of us are hiding from something. Some of us are afraid. Some of us have this habit of blaming, and I believe God wants to free us today, all of us. So let's bow in prayer before this God who loves us. Father, thank you so much. That you care, that you see us, that when we're hiding, you come and you say, Where are you? I'm here. God, some of us need to be freed today from sin. All of us do, probably. And so would you just breathe a quiet prayer? I don't know what the the issue is in your life. I I, I don't know what you're struggling with. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer. and, and, And it goes like this. God, would you free me from, and you fill in the blank. God, would you free me today from my anger? It just hurts people. It hurts me. God, free me from my anxiety that I struggle with every single day. God, free me from the tension, free us from the tension that we have in our family. God, free me from the verbal abuse that spills out of my mouth. God, free me from the lust that consumes me every day. God, free me. Do a miracle in me, I pray. For it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, who loves us, paid for our sins. Lord, we pray it in your name. Amen. Fantastic to be with all of you today. May God bless every single one of you.